Hi there, Queens. I'm Dr. Leslie Branch. And I'm Lanier Logan, and this is Hear Me. Black women define the narratives that shape us. Hear Me weaves contemporary and historical weekly conversations to create stronger bonds and lasting legacies. Hear Me is a sacred space where we discuss and define narratives that shape and define who society says we are and find common ground on the things that unite us. She is me, I am her, and we are Hear Me. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, today we have with us um, our co-host of uh, the podcast here, here uh, the fabulous um, Lanier Logan. Hey, and I'm hey. Like, how you doing, Lanier? Say hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. And so I'm going to start off with um, giving you a little bit of um, Lanier's background. And uh, then we'll move into the um, the questions. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So uh, here goes. <clears throat> so Lanier bills herself as a serial entrepreneur who is fixated on empowering communities of color with the resources they need to rescue themselves. Over the last ten years. Lanier has been working in workforce and economic development sectors through various government contracts. Uh, she has come to the realization that poverty is a business. And while she doesn't believe we sign up for a life of poverty, um, she does believe that lack of access and resources heavily impact African-Americans, especially single parent households. So what is within our control according to Lanier, is how resilient and consistent we are in moving forward. At times, the process of finding resources or inspiration can leave one overwhelmed and confused on what steps one should take to level up. She knows firsthand how difficult and isolating it can be to juggle a career, dreams, and parenting to create the life that she, her princess, Ming, and she deserves. So this is exactly why Lanier's mission is to educate and empower single mothers with the tools and resources they need to rescue themselves. And she, on her website, invites you to learn more. And her website is lanierlogan.com. And uh, Lanier is a New York City bred and she currently is residing in the DMV area with her 10-year-old princess, that is Princess Ming. And you can catch Lanier and Ming slinging Girl Scout cookies in their spare time or creating lasting memories on road trips around the globe. So once again, I want to welcome uh, Lanier Logan, um, my co-host on Hear Me the podcast. And uh, Lanier, um, I just uh, um, give you the space to, um, you know, respond to that bio and then I will. Uh, oh my uh, God, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, what do I say? I mean, it's my bio, so I don't really know what to say. It's your bio. Yeah. 
it's still developing. It's it's growing. It's definitely changed from where it was. Um, <clears throat> when I look at some of my bios, maybe even five years ago, I definitely wasn't as defined or clear about who I wanted to serve. I just knew I wanted to impact people and inspire people, but I wasn't sure like who those people were. And as the years have progressed and different opportunities have become available, I've just gotten more clear on my message and just like who I'm really talking to and who I want to help. It doesn't necessarily mean that I don't care about any other people, right? But um, at the moment in life, I was gifted with being born a Black woman. <laughs> so I clearly identify with Black women and their challenges and you know, experiences that I know that I'm not alone in having, and more importantly, feeling more and more like there are so many resources and things that are readily available to everyone, yet I just often feel like we're not included in those conversations or considered in a way that I would like. Um, I don't want it to be vague. So I don't want you to pretend like you're talking to me, but you're really talking to somebody else. No, I want to know that you are talking specifically to me. And that's one of the reasons why I felt like I needed to get clearer on my message. And I needed to focus more on talking to Black women and not all because all Black women don't identify with each other. We all have different experiences, but, you know, being a parent, a single woman, dating, working in corporate America, focusing on trying to build your brand, you know, having businesses, having them fail, connections, relationships, you know, all of those things really allow me to talk to one specific or a few different specific Black women, so. All right, well, I thank you for that. And one of the things that I thought was key and I really liked um, that you articulated is that your, your biography uh, is living, right? It is yeah. developing, right? And so in the space of um, a few years from now, it will be perhaps even uh, more refined or changed. Uh, yes. from what it is I needed to say that I actually have impacted the 100,000 women lives. Like, I want to hear, I want to hear some numbers. Like in a five years time, I want to be able to proudly say like, you know what? I have, you know, impacted 40,000 or 50,000 Black women's lives or assisted with changing the households or increasing stability or financial stability for, you know, 50,000 or even 100,000. Like that's, I'm a, the project manager in me is the number person. Like all of these initiatives need to lead to something. And, you know, it's a, that's a huge goal to have, but I'm more so focused on the day-to-day. -day. So the people that I'm encountering and the one-offs, and even if it's just one conversation or one consultation, like I know that there is something that I'm going to say to you or help you with that's going to take you to the next space that you need to be on, that I'm certain of. All right. So that is so cool. And it's, it's a wonderful uh, segue into... Um, this next question that I have for you. Um, what is it that motivates you to want to empower women 
in the way that you've chosen and on the scale, like a hundred thousand, um, that is huge. So, so where, where does the motivation to do this come from? Um, so I think the number, the hundred thousand, the number came from working in the last, probably the last eight years, I've had the opportunity or the privilege to work in a few different workforce development companies. So working in workforce development, it's pretty much working with helping people or the community or the state that you are funded with get back to work, right? Find resources, help them get back to work. And so a lot of the times, uh, especially in New York City, the program that I was with in Harlem, there was a lot of people who were on public assistance. So they were mandated to show up to these job programs. Uh -huh. And you come in and there's all of these steps and things that you have to do. You gotta come in, you gotta get your paper signed, you have to report here for the day, you gotta go into trainings and sit in the training room. And most times it was BS happening in the training rooms. like. It was trainers sitting down, talking at a bunch of adults, not really giving them anything. You can tell the trainers who were not really invested. So they kind of was just reading off a projector. No one was engaged. No one was, I just was like, this is a feeding ground for, I mean, it was one of the moments where I realized like poverty really is a business, right? Like we're telling you that you have to go into this back to work program, but no one's really helping you get back to work. Hmm. So you have all of these people who are sitting here, some of which who are underemployable. So you don't have a high school diploma or you don't have a GED, but public assistance is telling me I have to get back to work. But I'm a grown man or a grown woman with a whole household in Harlem where my area is being gentrified. So I can't afford to get a job that's going to allow me to pay the, the almost the $2,000 rent that I am going to have. So I need to keep my services to keep the little bit of money that you're giving me. Right. And so you're wasting my time by having me sit here and listen to this dumbass conversation when you're not helping me and you're not zeroing in on where I am in my life. So I thought that that was interesting and that the amount of people that I was able to see. So that opportunity, I started out with in Newark, New Jersey, and it was a, a program that wasn't mandated. And within the eight months that I was there, bringing in the training programs and creating the training classes and teaching four days a week, I was able to help 1,500 people get jo career jobs and not just jobs like career positions with leaving public assistance or getting off of unemployment with full-time work with benefits and having like a real shot at life. So when I saw that I was able to do that, 1,500 people within that eight-month time frame, it just allowed me to say, okay, so I wonder how much I could do if I have a larger audience. Hmm. And so then it just became you know, that program came, a new administration came aboard, uh, Ross Baraka came into office. So everything Cory Booker kind of just, it seemed like it got pushed out because <laughs> we came in with Cory Booker. 
So the company decided to hire me and offer me an opportunity for me to teach in Harlem and to go back home. And then there, it was a larger audience. So you had 75 people in the morning, 75 people in the afternoon, sometimes 100. So now I'm dealing with 150 to 200 people a day. And the people in the room are mixed. So you have people in their 20s, you have people in their 30s, you have people in their 40s. I'm having conversations about you know, how to get your life together with 50 year olds, people who could be my parent. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there was going to be a lot of resistance in terms of who is this little girl kind of coming in here and telling us what to do. So I had to make sure that my approach to people wasn't really about, no, you're a loser, you're sitting here. I had to make sure that my approach was more, I see you. And so since I see you, here's what I'm giving to you that's going to work for you. Like, I'm going to give you this information. You do with it what you will. Either it's going to work for you if you apply it. If you don't, then that means you're choosing to be in the space that you're in. And that's okay, too. I'm not going to judge you. Whenever you're ready to not be in this space, then you holler at me. Come into my office. And that's literally how I used to talk to people. <laughs> like, just come holler at me because you can't really talk down to adults. Like when people are conditioned and they're in the spaces that they're in, you can't make the assumption that everybody is lazy. And I think growing up, I'm an 80s baby. So growing up in the 80s and just thinking back on conversations or how Black people have been perceived by being on welfare was kind of like, you're lazy. Right. And I would constantly have conversations with people who were not lazy. It was circumstances. You are now a single mother. You lost your job. You have two kids. Your kids go to school between these hours and your rent is 1500 but childcare is another 1200 How can you afford to pay that? So you did need um, the public assistance and you needed the food and you needed the insurance and the cash. And I saw that there were a lot of people who were, you know, had bachelor's degrees. You had people, the face of public assistance, I think, in general has just changed because you had people who had masters. Right. And everybody's not crazy. Everybody's not like sitting here because they're checked out on life. No, people are sitting here because they're having a hard time. And financially, uh, New York City gentrification in the manner in which it hit Harlem and the way it hit Brooklyn, it's so unfortunate. So I just felt like it was more important for me to come in and provide people with resources than it was to tell people what to do. And that was just kind of the approach. I'm just going to give you the information. Don't know if you had it. Don't know if you know how to apply it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And then you let me know if it works, if you're interested. And that's helped me a lot because I saw the numbers changing and I got a, a good understanding to see the people who didn't take action, I, were able, I was able to have conversations with them on why they didn't take action. Hmm. And so it just, it kind of reaffirmed the 100,000 because it, it just felt more doable. And I hmm. did that with them for like a year, probably like a year and a half until I they um, sent me to Washington, D.C. to deal with that training program. And then that was a, a different animal. That level of gentrification was a little different because there's so many, there probably was about 19,000 families who had exceeded the lifetime limit of public assistance. Right. So you have people in the room, like say you're my mom and you're my mom. So when you had me, 
you were on public assistance. So here it is, I'm 19, I'm 20. Now I got to get off your case because now I'm pregnant. So now I leave your case to get my own case for me and my kid. And my grade level, I got a high school diploma, but I can't read past the fifth grade. Wow. I was blown by that. I was blown by so many people who were coming in the door who had high school diplomas, but their reading and comprehension wasn't past the fifth grade. And I was just like, nah, this really is a business. Like this is, it was just, it was just stressful. It's even stressful thinking about it because I feel like there's so much to do. And I feel like I have made it. I definitely could have been a statistic. So there's this part of me that always feel driven. Like I made it. So it's important for you to show other people that they can make it too. For sure. Um, and, and, you know, no doubt about the, uh, the systemic uh, system of oppression that, you know, uh, keeps people in that cycle. So, um, Lanier, you are a disruptor and a revolutionary, I would suggest. Um, and, and taking a historical view um, as a disruptor or a revolutionary, who are you? Who do you um, most see yourself in um, as that person who is fighting to um, um, level playing fields and, and um, push uh, equity and equality? Oh my gosh, that's a therapy question. <laughs> uh, that is a therapy question because, um, you know, we're going to be fully transparent. I think, so I'm 39, I'll be 40 in December. And I probably, till this day, I still struggle with seeing me the way others see me. Mm. So in saying that, it's like, um, yes, I'm doing the work. I'm passionate about it because this is what I feel led to do. But I don't actually spend time or haven't spent time really thinking about how I see me because then it becomes this imposter syndrome and battle mm -hmm. where I feel like mm, I might not be equipped enough for this battle. And usually when that thought comes to mind, I get an email from a client or someone says something to me. Like, I know my ancestors carry me daily because someone will say something to me to, to like, spark me out of that space to put nudge me out of that space of what I'm thinking so I haven't necessarily given much thought about who I am in the face of revolution uh, I definitely think that it's a compliment and it just feels like a heavy crown to carry I think I'm in the space of this is just what I'm supposed to do right this is literally what I'm supposed to do um when I think statistically about um, my experiences and where society says and statistics says I should be. You know, my dad was formerly incarcerated. He spent a bulk of my life uh, in and out of prison. And he was, um, you know, in the streets and he provided in a way that he felt was necessary. And, you know, I was molested as a kid. I dropped out of high school. You know, I met you going back to college. Uh, because I was pregnant and I felt like, nope, I need to finish college. Like, this is something that's important that when my kid 
becomes of age that she can see at least I have a degree on the wall, like something that I finished something. It was right. important for me to finish that. And even though it was just an associate's, you know, there was a lot of things that I learned about myself, but it was the starting point. And so I think I've worked really hard to define my own self and not let other people define me by how they think I should be or where I should have ended up because of the things that, you know, society says you should have. So that's a really interesting question. Well, I just, you know, thank you for your transparency. And I want to affirm you, you are enough. Um, and, and this is, you know, of course. Thank you. That's my tagline. I end my signatures with that to people. You know, and, and the whole journey that we're taking in doing this podcast is to uh, dispel the narratives that um, society says about uh, women who look like us. And so, mm -hmm. again, I affirm you, um, you are enough. Um, <clears throat> and so, moving on, um, when did you know um, this revolutionary or, or this disruptor path uh, was your calling? Uh, when did you know that this was your path or your calling or, um, you know, did you know? I don't know if I knew specifically this was my calling as much as I knew that there was more for me. I knew that every time somebody told me I couldn't. So I always have this battle with people because, so I have an associate's degree, but before I even had the associate's degree, like, I had gotten a GED from Monroe College. So after you complete a certain amount of credits, 21 credits, you get automatically um, the high school diploma or GED. And I remember when I was 19 and I decided, my first job was at Philip Morris. So I was getting paid. Um, I was at a temp agency. So I was getting paid like, had to be like around 40,000 a year. Mind you, out of high school, so Not I didn't fair. graduate because I knew how to articulate myself. I knew how to have a conversation. I knew how to sell myself, even though I don't think I thought of it as selling myself. It was like, I'm going to fake it until I make it. I'm going to tell you guys what I need to tell you to get in this door. And then I'm going to learn as much as I can to master this. And so I can keep the job. And um, I just remember like people always oh, well, you don't have a college degree, so you can't do this. Oh, well, we're not gonna, oh my God, you're so amazing. Have you ever thought of going back to college? And I was just, just be like, this college is not for everybody. Like I didn't have the best experience in school and partly because I didn't realize that I had some learning disabilities. And I remember trying to get into Monroe and taking one of my entry exams. Like you have to, when you don't have a high school diploma, you have to take a test. Right. And I remember scoring. So you were supposed to score like 40 on the reading, 40 in comprehension. And I think like 45 or 50 or something like that for math. And I remember like across the board, it being like 55, almost 60. And oh. they were like, <laughs> I remember the counselor looked at me like, wait, so I just need to understand why are you here? Huh. Like, why, why did you 
I don't understand. Like, why don't you have a high school diploma? And it was kind of like the first time someone kind of took the time to like really say, damn, she's not what normally comes in here. Like people don't normally score this high on these Richter scales because something is off. And I was just like, you know, I didn't finish. And I was of 18 and didn't want to go back. And I, you know, kind of had the conversation of just like feeling like it was lost. Like I would go to class and feel like I get it, but I don't get it. And I think in defense of some of the teachers at the time, if there's 35 students in a classroom, I can't spend time focusing on the, the 15, the 20 who don't get it. I have to teach this one learning style to the 10 who get it. And I just happened to be in the ones who didn't get it. And it wasn't because I wasn't smart. It's just, I learned different. Like I'm a kinesthetics learner. It's something yeah. that I figured out later on. So having conversations, visual um, engagement is what works for me. Um, reading textbooks do not work for me. It's reading and implementation immediately. Um, and even if that implementation is followed up by a conversation of just analogies of real life things, it's easier for me to connect the dots and retain the information. But when you're younger, you don't know that. Right. Right. No one really tells you, you just kind of like go to school and you just have to follow this norm of come to class, sit here. This is what you do. This is a do now do this review question. You very seldomly found teachers. Um, in the 90s who would challenge you to think in a way that was comfortable for you right it was either you think like this you respond like this or something's wrong with you sit over there i don't have time to figure it out and help you figure it out so that, that's, that's problematic a, yeah and that's that's actually an interesting point because you know from a historical perspective the whole point of school um wasn't necessarily just to teach you reading, writing, and arithmetic, but it was also to shape you into an obedient citizen um, and, and, and uh, you know, a citizen that obeys its government and its laws and things like that. So um, clearly, um, and, and not in a bad way, you are bucking um, that, uh, that mold, that trend. Uh, you so you know how you see the commercials and all the cars are just driving neatly and nicely right. uh, at the speed limit. You're the one that sort of drives off and goes. I'm the dirt going road. in and out the lanes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drive around the tree because y'all driving too slow. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out the lane and go around the tree and skip you. Like I'm definitely and, that person. Yeah, and coloring outside the lines and and thinking outside of the box um, mm. as they you know. Um, to, to borrow a phrase, um, has served you well. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, um, you know, given what you know uh, about yourself and, and what you've learned about yourself and, and how systems work, um, is college um, in your future? Or no, I don't need it. And I say that and not to be offensive for anyone who who is in college and I'm careful. I have a 10 year old, right? I think, so I think right now it's an interesting thing. I've been having this conversation and teaching this for the last seven years about the gig economy, mm -hmm. right? And 
what artificial intelligence looks like and where is that going to take us as a community? So when I think about college, that is not a place for everyone. Right. Like intellectually, everybody can't be there. It's just not, people are going to have difficult, difficult times because everybody learns different. And for me, I found it very hard. I tried to go back to finish my bachelor's, but it just felt like it wasn't somewhere that I needed to be. It just, it was taking too long to get to what I needed to learn uh-huh. to get what I needed, in my opinion. So learning has always been a daily effort of the books that I read, the classes that I take, um, just taking random classes. I think YouTube is an amazing place for you to get information. The internet has changed things, you know, going on EDX. And, you know, the first time I got my opportunity to teach at Brooklyn Long Island University is one of the moments where I realized, like, your gifts make room for you when you're in alignment. Right. So when I think about my friends, here it is, you know, I'm associate's degree, high school dropout, you know, I ran a few businesses, they made a little money, nothing too, nothing too crazy and radical, but enough to sustain me in some moments. And yet I was in the same space as some of my friends who had masters who were teaching and who were adjuncts. And it was like, okay, but I'm here. So obviously they saw something in me. I deserve to be here, even though everybody was questioning why I was there and I had value. And even in those moments, sometimes people would be shocked because it's like, when I tell people about my story, then they are like, oh damn, I didn't realize that. Because when you talk, it's just like, you have so much information. And it's just because I've never seen education as only being taught in schools. You have to be open to learn from anywhere and anyone. And I think it's a lifetime thing. It's a lifetime investment. You know, I wouldn't encourage people not to go to college. I would encourage people to go to school because it's something that you decided you wanted to do. And I would like to encourage people to go to college, but free of charge. There's so many scholarships and things that are available that go unspent every year. Yeah. Hundreds and thousands of dollars, millions of dollars that go unspent and unutilized because we're not really focusing our efforts. So sure, college can be a great space for people to make connections, to build relationships, to really develop themselves as young people. Sometimes college can be a safe haven for a person who's coming from a very toxic environment and they need stability and they find a sense of community and family and develop healthier relationships to push them forward in their life. So I would never think that college is not the best place. But when you think about where we are, especially with COVID, people who have degrees are out of work too. Yeah, for sure. Right? Everyone's in the same space. And people, you know, we have an exorbitant amount of debt when it comes to student loans. And how is that really benefiting anyone? Like, we're going to these colleges, we're getting these degrees, but Black women are still significantly underpaid when it comes into comparison to white women or white men. And we're degreed up. You see us being more degreed up now than ever before. And I just think 
it's so important, especially when we're talking about opportunities, whether we're talking to each other or we don't just limit it to education, right? Hard skills and, you know, soft skills are things that are not always taught at college. You can, you can take boot camps, you can take classes, like to really help develop you and sharpen you. It's really about the person's drive and their focus to say, hey, I want to learn this and I want to master this and this is what I want to do. So that, that's interesting uh, on, on a few levels, right? So um, when, when you think about other, um, I guess, industry titans or uh, moguls, if you will, mm-hmm. um, they don't have college degrees. Um, sure don't. Like the, the Bill Gates, the, I think the Mark Zuckerberg, um, the late Steve Jobs, um, they, I don't believe they have college degrees, although they did go. They, um, they went, they dropped out for different reasons. Right. Um, but, you know, even in using those examples, though, I have a thing about using white men as the example for black men and women, because right. they are allowed to get into rooms and be totally unqualified and ill-equipped to do yes. things, but they're allowed and granted the opportunity to present because they are white men and white women. Yes. Yes. So I'm very clear that the, you know, my brothers and sisters, black women and black men who bust their tail to excel in all of their classes, to get these degrees, I in no way, shape or form would ever disrespect that. I salute them. I applaud them. But I also think it's an interesting shift to see so many others of us who've been able to get in the same rooms and achieve the same amount of level of success without those degrees. And I think it's just a reflection of who we are as African-Americans because we can adapt, like we're resilient. We're just naturally creative. I think we need to just be encouraged that there's no one blueprint. Right. So when I was thinking about my interview with you and just the things you talked about, like your family was able to set a blueprint. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to graduate from school. You're going to go to college. You're going to get a great job. You're going to get married. That's it. Picket fence, house. That's it. And I think that that was a great blueprint for my elders, considering the times and considering where they were coming from. Right. Yeah. But now what does that blueprint look like? You know, so many kids are drowning in college. They're like, they're not even always doing well. You see a lot of people who are going to college just because their parents want them to. And then they find themselves extremely miserable or trying to like live out loud and do the things that works for them. And I'm not suggesting that people need to defy their families. I'm not suggesting that. But I I would like to see us get to a space as African-Americans to where we can embrace our differences and realize this college life may have worked for me. It's not working for you. So how can I help you? How can I help you be great? What, what are some other resources or things that I can do to support you in the space that you're in? Because we are different in those ways. Because what worked for me may not work for you. And, and that's, that's actually a great point. And, um, some colleagues of mine and I have co-authored a series 
uh, and diverse issues in higher ed um, that you know look at the state of higher education um, and where it's heading and you know overlay that with uh, COVID it's anybody's guess with regard to what the state of higher ed will be but clearly you know some of the larger institutions who are well uh, endowed uh, ha have really nice endowments will be able to weather um, post-COVID um, quite well um, but the places that uh, black and brown uh, students go um, it, it remains to be seen if they will even uh, be able to stay in business uh, post-COVID. Um, so uh, you talked a little bit uh, about how you sort of got started on your path um, and what you've learned along the way. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently um, being that you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you now have some uh, skin in the game and you've gained some wisdom. Um, knowing what you know now, is there something that uh, a young Lanier would have done differently? Yes, I would have, I would have broken out from my friendships much earlier. And I know that that sounds harsh and crazy but um and not necessarily left them behind but the more i ventured off into entrepreneurship and the more i ventured off into corporate america i had the opportunity to meet women of my age who was just live, living different and they were traveling and they were when I have sit down and I'm listening to conversations with my friends who went to HBCUs uh -huh. and they talk about their dorm experience and they're just, their relationships. I feel like, dang, I kind of missed that. Right. Like they have this certain connection and these experiences that I think had I had those experiences a little early on, I would have saved myself from a lot of trauma. So it's like, it's twofold. <laughs> it's twofold because I just feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in this moment, right? Everywhere, every failed situation, every traumatic situation, every, you know, every rejection, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. But if I did have the opportunity, I probably would do over I would start from when I was 20 and navigate a little differently. Okay. And just focus more on the network that I'm building and the relationships. All right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad that things turned out the way that they did because they certainly brought us together um, initially as a, a student and teacher and now mm -hmm. colleagues and co-creators. So, I know, uh, ain't that trippy? Cause you're very like accomplished. So I just think that like when someone who's so accomplished wants to work with me, I'm often, I think it, I think it's a part of that imposter syndrome, and I'm just like, why don't they want to work? Like I get very much <laughs> in my head. Like, what am I gonna add to this? Like I don't know how to stand up to this, but it is. Um, one of those reminders like you're right that i'm enough 
you know, I have a t-shirt that I created that intentionally was more so for me, but I felt like it was definitely for other people to be reminded that like, you are enough, everything you need, you have already within you. All you need to do is focus on the next step. Yeah. Like focus on getting there and completing the next step and things will just open up for you, uh, especially if you're clear and you're intentional. Yeah, for sure. Definitely for sure. So my next question uh, for you is uh, about this moniker, uh, Mogul Magic. So uh, tell us about that. How did that uh, originate? So Mogul Magic is so funny because just the whole mogul thing really came about when I was, um, I, th- I, I feel like it was you. So we were, so in my class that I had with you, um, it was a business introduction to businesses, introduction to business. And it was a mixture of people. I know it was this young guy at the time he was working at Vibe Magazine. It was an interesting dynamic between the people in the classroom. And it was mixed with people who had experience, people who didn't. I think that was the interesting part about Monroe is that there was always so many different age groups. So I know like you were, you asked a question, something you asked a question about. And I was just like, oh yeah, I have a t-shirt company that I like have been working with on and off, but I really want to do this. And I started thinking about um, Madison Shalise PR, like MTPR, and that's what I was focusing on at the moment. And you were like, oh, like a young mogul. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't even remember that. It stuck with me because I was like, I remember like pausing and I was like, well, what's a mogul? And you was just like, you were telling me like a wealthy person who's under 40 or something. Like you explained it in a way. And I was like, oh, okay. And you didn't say young mogul, but you said a mogul. So I went back and it just, it just stuck with me. I remember changing my Blackberry signature to like Mrs. Young Mogul. <laughs> and my friend, I had sent an email to somebody I was talking to and he was like, you're married? And I was like, yeah, I'm married to entrepreneurship. Like I'm married to my dreams. And it just, it literally, because it was my signature, it literally was a thing. And then people were my friends would see it and they would be like, oh, Mrs. Young Logo. And people would joke like, oh, you're going to be Oprah and I'm going to be your gal. And it would just be like, because I always would say like, I'm going to sit on Oprah's couch. Like, I'm going to meet Oprah. She's going to interview me. We're going to have a conversation. She's going to want to talk to me. She's going to want to know who I am. And it just became a thing. So then I had, you know, had this idea that it makes me think about what you said earlier, calling me like a visionary or some, a disruptor, but it wasn't the time for the magazine, but it was called Young Mogul Life magazine. And it was supposed to capture and highlight Black women who were just doing it big and yes. not on a large scale, but in their communities, right? I didn't want to focus on the ones who everyone knew. I wanted to focus on the ones who were on their way up in their communities, who were doing amazing things, who were incredibly successful. And I really wanted to talk to them about what did it look like, their journey, were they married, did they have children, and really like dig deep 
because I was venturing into a space to where I was a new mom. I was trying to figure out how to keep my dream alive and still be a mom, but then feeling completely inadequate because my first business, MCPR, I wasn't making any money at the time anymore because I just couldn't travel. I couldn't move around. Like parenting really changes you. You know, it, it shifts you if you allow it. And it just, I felt like the doors was closing in. And I did the magazine for a little while. It required so much work and financial capital that I wasn't able to keep it up. So I've kept the domains and I, I know that I'm going to revisit it when the time is right. But Mogul Magic became, I didn't want to let that go. So then I started playing with the podcast idea. And as Maddie got older and when I moved out here, uh, relocated out here to deal with this DC program, I just felt like my experiences needed to be shared. So I started to realize that all of these curriculums that I was developing and all of these classrooms that I was teaching and and talking to these, you know, young women or people who look like me who are in these interesting spaces, I just felt like, damn, I'm no different than you. Like I could be sitting where you are if I checked out, right? Or if I had the same traumatic experiences that you've had, I could literally be sitting there right next to you. Right. And so I just wanted people to, I wanted to give people information, but also in a way like to just kind of show them there are other blueprints to have. So mogul magic was really all about like respecting the shift of your journey and like allowing it to, to turn out to your best good. So really showing like what it looks like to co-parent from four states away you know my daughter sees her dad as much as she can we make sure some vacations extended holidays she goes to new york and comes back but what does that look like right what does that look like as me as a black woman single who has these big goals and ambitions, but i'm single so what does dating look like right conversations what does that look like um what does money look like what does my credit look like like I'm trying to provide and give my kid a life that she can be proud of and a life that I've never had. And how do I do that and still keep my dream alive? And having a nine to five, like, is this it? (laughs) Like, am I just going to be working at this forever? And I just felt like Mogul Magic is definitely a podcast that I want to be able to really talk about these things and kind of inspire people I don't want it to be event session, but it's more so like, hey, these are my experiences. This is what happened. This is what I gained from it. And this is what I learned. So what about you? And I just want it to be a topic of conversation. And I want people to have hope that even in their darkest spaces and not people like Black women, single women, whether you have children or not, like I want them to be inspired that it doesn't matter how you started or where you are in the moment. That's not where you have to end up if you don't want to. So in a lot of ways, then, um, it's creating a blueprint for the 21st uh, century Black woman. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Redefining yourself is so important. Yeah. 
I mean, and, and there needs to be a strategy. So even though the strategies from my generation uh, worked and they may not be the strategies uh, because things have shifted, um, mm -hmm. we, we should always have some sort of a strategy um, on how we're gonna move forward. So I just wanna get a plug in there um, for the Mogul Magic uh, t-shirt. Where, where can we buy this t-shirt if we want it to? So there's not a t-shirt for Mogul Magic, uh, but the t-shirts you can go to uh, IamScriptTees.com and they are shirts that really provide uh, a voice to fashion. So you're really saying the things on your shirts that you probably wouldn't say in public and they, <laughs> they go from any different way. So I have shirts that says like, I'm enough. Um, things about black culture. I have a shirt uh, for Madam C.J. Walker that was interesting because that design was created probably about four or five years ago. So recently when I heard that they were doing uh, a show behind it, I was like, that would be the perfect time to like advertise my shirt because it was already done. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's I am scriptees, S-C-R-I-P-T-E-E-Z.com. I mean, it's, this has been a long journey. I started this t-shirt company in 2003 and it was originally Sassy Sexy Tees. <laughs> so it's all like, when I think about the journey of it, I've evolved because I had shirts like, you don't know my name, but your boyfriend does. But again, <laughs> that's where I was at 2022. Like that was the space I was in. And then as I got older, I started having more thought-provoking shirts and more um, things to make you think, spark a conversation. Um, and it's still mixed with those spicy quotes. Like I still have the shirt. Uh, you don't know my name, but your boyfriend does. Because I just, it's a part of my personality. I'm very sophisticated. Depending mm. on the days you catch me, you know, I could be very philosophical. I'm all about my people, but I'm all about foolishness too. Like I'm sarcastic. I'm, you know, I'm funny. I watch Ratchet TV sometimes. I just don't let it consume me. But um, I'm very serious about pushing the culture forward and what that looks like for me and legacy building and the life that I'm going to leave behind the world that I'm going to leave behind for Ming. Like that's, that's number one to me. So, you know, you know, black people are not one dimensional. Like we're so many different things. Right. So I think that that t-shirt company still encompasses that. And I've been privileged enough to still keep it going and people still buy shirts here and there. And it's, you know, it's progressively moving forward. The more I put into it. Okay. So my next uh, uh, question for you um, revolves around um, folks who motivate and influence you. And so undoubtedly your princess uh, is who motivates you in your work to create these legacies. Um, is there anyone else? Yes. Um, me as a little kid. So I think um, <clears throat> therapy has been the most impactful in my life over the last, I think we're at like 120 days by now, <laughs> like we're counting because 
I had my 90th anniversary, I think like almost a month ago. So I go every week and I felt like I was getting in my way for a lot of things. And I definitely have unresolved or had unresolved abandonment issues and some traumatic things that have happened to me. Um, And my relationship with my parents has been very, um, has been very estranged and we're working at it. Mm -hmm. But I know that it's impacted how I see myself how I doubt my gifts, how Mm -hmm. I, you know, um, don't move forward on the things or I need some validation from someone to like confirm this is a great idea or this is what you should do. Those things are very challenging when you are pushing forward and trying to be focused on your um, purpose. And I just felt like um, it was the perfect time for me to start therapy because I didn't want to Um, put those bad habits onto Madison. That was like critical. Like every, she inspires me, but she also inspires me to fix the shit that I need to fix. Okay. I don't want her. I just, I just don't want that. I'm breaking all generational curses that like there are things that are going to end with me. So, um, I say all of that to say like through therapy, I realized that the younger person in me is who I'm working on actively healing at this moment. There are a lot of things sometimes that I see in women or just in kids and their experiences. And I feel immediately triggered or I'm emotionally pulled towards it because, you know, there's a little kid who at 10, like, didn't really think I was going to be anything in life because of certain adults who literally kind of like have told me that, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you ain't going to be shit, you you know, or um, really wasn't pouring life into me in the way that they should. And it contributed a lot to my doubt. So that's why it's like always an interesting thing when people would see me and would I could tell that they see me by the way that they look at me, the by the questions that they ask me when they see me doing things that are not in an alignment with how they see me, like on this pedestal. Right. And I've needed those people over the years to kind of keep me focused and and wheel me back in to remind me that there's greater purpose for my life. But I definitely think that while Madison inspires me, I want to make the seven-year-old in me proud. I want to make the 10 year old in me proud and create a space for her today to just be like, you know, it does work out. Like, look who, like, look who we've become. Like, I understand how you're feeling right now. I understand your environment is not conducive to and supportive to what you think you should be. Right. And I understand that the adults around you are not emotionally healthy and they are not projecting the right things to you but this gets better and I think that that is kind of the work that I'm doing right now just on myself so Mm -hmm. if I think about who else inspires me it's definitely Madison but it's also like uh, you know Riri that was my nickname that my dad called me like or some of my family would call me Reese so 
I'm definitely like healing that 10 year old. That is so awesome. And it's so profound um, because you're going back in time to fix some things. So in the present, you can be a better you. You can show up as a better version of yourself. Right. And um, that, that is awesome um, that you're willing to put the work in. Um, it's and, hard work. I'm not even yeah. going to make it look like it's easy. It is. I would love to be like, you know what? I just want to sit my ass on this couch and watch Netflix all day. I just, why do I have to be great in life? <laughs> I'll say that. And then within five minutes, be like, no, get your ass. We got stuff to do. Like, so, but it's definitely hard work. I think it's rewarding. It's definitely rewarding, but it's, it's hard work to, well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm know. very um, proud of you and inspired uh, by you um, for willing to, to put the work in. And, um, you know, I don't know anyone who hasn't been told they will never uh, be anything. And I remember some years ago, actually five years ago, when I uh, earned my PhD, I took a picture of it and I put a post on my Instagram that says, there were those who uh, told me I would never be anything. Um, and um, they were wrong. And if they tell you the same thing, don't believe them. And then I, you know, and so, you know, and, and it's, it's definitely a challenge because even though some of those people who told you that may not be in your life anymore, or they may not even be on this earth anymore, the fact of the matter is, is that words live on. Um, mm -hmm. And so it becomes, the, the challenge becomes policing um, our thoughts and harnessing them and dismissing the ones that uh, don't uh, pour into us and embracing uh, the truth that people um, uh, speak to us. And so even though, you know, we can't see what it is that people see, um, you know, uh, trust the process. Um, Agreed, that trust the process is big too. Yeah, yeah. So um, my, one of my uh, follow, my, my, I guess my last question um, for you is, um, you know, you started off talking about your life in increments, I guess, of um, five years or so. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see yourself in the immediate future in this work of empowering Black women? Uh, one of the things you talked about were uh, college scholarship opportunities. Um, are there other ventures on the horizon? You know, you spoke about the the, the magazine and and so you know, because you're, you're a creative. And um, one thing that I have learned about creatives, and I, I have uh, worked with them in the past, right? So this is me. I'm not a creative. I'm methodical. And so I go, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> but creatives are like this, mm -hmm. right? So where, what, what are some of the other um, projects on the horizon? So right now I'm really excited because I am stepping away within the next year from really teaching in person at these government contracts. And I've transitioned a lot of this online. So my mission to empower, to impact uh, 100,000 Black women is followed up by currently I'm, I created a program called um, How to Ace Your PMP 
uh, on your first try. So I'm all about like just teaching people how to increase their earning potential, right? And right. you know, working and having this contract with uh, this government agency, we're working with WIOA funds. So every job center in the United States and America, um, there are federal funds under the WIOA Act which was put in by Obama, where it will help you pay for trainings and things to increase you. So um, there are a lot of people who do the job of a project manager who right. are not necessarily being paid by it because they don't have the certification. And I've facilitated the last four PMP cohorts and helped people, probably about 40, 45 people get their certifications. Uh, so I created my own program to just really talk to people, what is the PMP, who qualifies, how do you qualify, and that's just one of them. Um, so with that, I'm going to be rolling out different classes online that really just talks about um, how do you increase your skill set from the place that you're in, you know, showing people where they can go to get these skills for free, how can they learn them. Uh, how can you leverage this and turn this into freelancing? How you then can take that and make this, you know, an additional income. So as a single parent, sometimes it's not always easy to just get another job. Right. Who's going to babysit your child? Who's going to assist you with this, right? So the money you end up making in this second job ends up paying for the childcare. So is it worth it? So now you're not only physically, emotionally, and financially tapped, you're just drained and it just feels like a no way out situation. So I'm all about teaching people how to monetize their expertise. There are things that you already have, there are gifts that you already have, talents, hard skills that you have that you can sell. You can sell these things without, um, you know, depleting yourself in the process and creating an additional revenue stream. So um, that's what I'm working on right now. Also, you know, just building a following and just starting to finally have the conversation with people online that this is exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I do a lot of consultations. So if people go to my website, it's lanierlogan.com and you can see all the services. So I just feel like everything is aligning, right? Like me working with you on this podcast doesn't mean that I won't continue to do my podcast. It means like I get to have a focused conversation and be more philosophical. And then the other podcast, I get to focus on like just me and my life and different aspects. And I just feel like right now everything is aligning. And so it's really about a race to a million, how many people that we can impact, how many lives can we change, how much valuable practical information can we give people uh, to help them shift their current realities. Okay. All right. So um, that concludes my questions. Is there anything that you'd like to add um, that our listeners, uh, you know, that you think our listeners might uh, um, benefit from about uh, who you are? I just, well, I mean, about us, about me, um, not sure. I mean, definitely follow me on Twitter at Mrs. Young Mogul and on Instagram, same thing at Mrs. Young Mogul. Um, you can go to my website, LanierLogan.com. I think I'm more so excited about this podcast though. 
like hear me and us define the narratives. I think if people have made it to episode two and they listen to my interview in comparison to yours, uh, we are definitely defying narratives, right? There are clear narratives and how people see us, we're defying that. And it's gonna be interesting to all the topics that we talk about and the things that we're covering in this podcast is going to be so amazing and i just can't wait for people to kind of join in all right so ladies and gentlemen that concludes our interview with mrs young mogul aka lanier logan um and we look forward to um our next episode and our next topic. So yes, yes, yes. Stay tuned. On that note, it's a Thank you for joining us. You can catch our latest episodes every Tuesday. Hear Me is on Spotify and iTunes. And it's executive produced by me, Leslie Branch, and Lanier Logan. And big thanks to Lil Sourstruck who produced the beat. Till next time, hear me.